is Bloomberg Surveillance. So much of what's going on right now is financial engineering. It's issuing really, really low-cost debt. It's buying back shares. I think less will continue to be more. Lower coupons, better quality issues will continue to outperform the big yielders. Now we're getting worried if stocks tumble 7 or 8% year-to-date. We're just more evilly alarmed than we used to be for some reason. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, noon in the city where London currency traders are very happy. It is time to get out from under their desks and go out to get something to eat. The pound, a falling knife this morning on Brexit concerns. Right now, the pound down more than 2%, Tom, uh, after Boris Johnson, the mayor of uh, London, Lord Mayor, I guess they call him, came out and said he would campaign for leaving the European Union. So it's going to be an interesting campaign ahead, June 23rd. Sir Michael, it's it's here. And a shout out to Francine Lacroix, who like, what, 90 days ago, 100 days ago, was going Brexit, Brexit. I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't want that for breakfast. And, <laughs> we, you know, she was dead on. We're going to have a lot to talk. As if the world needed something else to worry about. Yeah. Now we've got this for uh, a couple of months. For equity investors, though, here's what you need to know. West Texas, 3081 is up 4%. Brent crude, 3432 is up 4%. Because the correlation to equity markets is strong this morning. The stock 600 up 5 points, 1.5%. The DAX up 182 points, 2% today. That is even though market economics composite PMI fell to 52.7, lowest in more than a year. European economy is still growing, but slowly. In the U.S., we're being pushed higher by oil prices. S&P E-mini futures up 22 points, 1.1%. Dow E-minis 186 points, 1.1%. And NASDAQ E-minis are up 51 points, that's 1.2%. Bond yields in the U.S. and most of Europe are higher this morning. Your 10-year, 1.78. Five-year goes for 1.27%. And we're at 78 basis points for the two-year. The German two-year, negative 53 basis points. Uh, uh, You can probably guess that across the curve they are lower in the U.K. Gold getting hammered this morning down 26 points, 2.1%. Twenty-six dollars. Uh, Rich corrects me. You are absolutely correct. Uh, Twenty-six dollars, two point one percent. Speaking of hammered bank stocks, the KBW Bank Index down sixteen point seven percent so far this year. Joining us this morning, Brad Hintz. He was for years, of course, the top bank analyst on Wall Street at uh, Sanford Bernstein. Now he has uh, retired. He is teaching at NYU. You are teaching managing financial businesses. I understand, to second-year MBA students. And I would imagine that the way you manage a financial business now is a whole lot different from when you got into the business. Absolutely. You teach an awful lot more about regulation and uh, and and living within uh, regulation. And then the other thing you have to remember is that even to MBA students, the uh, the financial crisis is ancient history. Well, it just shows how old we are. <laughs> but is it regular? I mean, the returns on banks have been terrible. Is it regulation? Is it they're not making their cost of capital? Is is it because the government is weighing on them? Well, I mean, mathematically, you can you can run the numbers and say, you know, look at the change in the capital base and 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 leverage of the banks, and that that explains an awful lot of the ROE change. But an awful a lot of it is also the um, 
the the business models are changing. You know, fixed income. Fixed income remains the problem child, right? And fixed income was a business of taking risk. You know, you're no longer allowed to take risk. Now, whether that is because for regulatory guidance as of Europe, right, or Volcker as in the United States, we that big piece of the business is still generating very, very low returns, dragging down the returns. They're still good businesses, right? I mean, you know, if you look at the capital markets businesses, you know, M&A and equity underwriting, wonderful businesses, right? I mean, they, those are still very, very profitable businesses for the banks. But the mixes are all are all wrong, and that's what's pulling their R their ROEs down. Well, I know Tom wants to get in, but let me ask one more quick question, Tom, and that is, so are we seeing a reset in what the value of the businesses is, and that's why stock's going down, or is it people don't believe these businesses are good businesses? You're saying they are. Well, some of them are, um, and and so what we uh, what we have with investors is you know remember it's been six years since since they've beaten their cost of capital right and um, and there there was a survey came out in December uh, that of of all the major institutional investors around the world it, it the, the what was surprising about this is across the group Europe Asia North America none of the investors believed that the banks were going to be able to beat their cost of capital over the next five years. And that says that regulation hasn't changed, right? I mean, regulation changes, capital keeps going up, uh, CCAR stress become harder, uh, and the banks can't adjust their business models fast enough to the changing regulations. If you think about it, 2009, we would have expected that new regulations would come right. out, we'd have a new, we'd have a new, new level playing field. It hasn't turned out to be that way. Brad Hintz with us with uh, New York University. Futures up 21, Dow Futures up 179. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you this Monday by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to bench the benchmarks and consider active management and factor-based strategies. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Brad, i got like eight ways to go here. Let me start with uh, two charts that were in the Wall Street Journal. I think it was last week which is basically the bigger, too big to fail banks are bigger than they were X number of years ago, and that some of them are actually minting money. There is, however, say, and I don't mean to pick on Mr. Corbett, but Citigroup, with a 10-for-1 reverse split, is trading before the reverse split. It's $3.90 per share and basically hasn't been able to get out of its own way for seven years. Is that a going concern? Um, I had an executive at Moody's uh, in my class who said Citi is the most difficult bank to manage simply because it's everywhere around the world and it's in all these businesses. So let's give management the benefit of the doubt yes. that, they, that this, is a, this is a tough machine to run. They're strong in certain parts of the world. They, they don't have quite the retail business in the United States. We've seen the retail business is not a bad business to be in in banking, right? That's, you, can, you can make money but in we'll, retail. Okay, then to rip up the script here, will they expense away the retail business as well in their desperation to cut costs? Well, they're cutting costs, and they're and you're seeing them target areas. You know, we're going to be bigger in Asia. That's going to be our. It's going to be one of our strengths, right? And and we're you know we're 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 going to. They don't want to back away from capital markets. So part right. of this is a side is is there's a reluctance to give up on some of these yeah. businesses that are pulling down returns. Mike, I opened a bank account this weekend over by Columbus Circle. I had to give them a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as, as banks try to figure out what to do, are we seeing them go into different businesses? City, you're saying you know, focus on Asia. 
who's in the banking supermarket business for the long haul? Ah, that that's a business model that that, that probably isn't going to uh, it, it. Well, you can look at JPM and say JPM is 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 well positioned in terms of it. But the question about the supermarket is, does it does it work? Um, the cross-selling, right? Because that's the argument. And you know, I can I can put myself in the position of having been a corporate treasurer, right? Cross-selling simply doesn't work, and it it doesn't work for a very simple reason. You know, the um, the loans are done by the corporate treasurer. M and A is done by the CFO and the CEO. So how do you cross-sell between when when the decision makers are different players? And so the idea that I can take a retail com- checking account and turn that into a wealth management account. That's pretty tough to do, and and yet that's what the banks have, have tried over the years. You, you bring up wealth management, and I find that interesting because um, coming out of the financial crisis, UBS went whole hog into that business, and it seems like everybody is following that model. Barclays wants to be big in, in wealth management. Credit Suisse says, well, we're getting out of investment banking, and we're going to concentrate on wealth management. Are there enough wealth Wealthy people to manage their money, where all these banks can make money in that business. Uh, well, you're uh, you're you, you, you're absolutely right. There's a there's a limit to all the wealthy people in the world if everybody goes after it. But to me, the the issue is many of these banks are doing me too, right? I mean, UBS can become largely an asset management firm. They had a large enough asset management business that if they shrink their 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 capital markets business, their ROEs go up and they and and it's a successful strategy. If you don't have an asset management business, saying that you're going into asset management isn't going to offset that 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 drag of a fixed income business that's pulling down your performance. So a lot of this is, you know, Morgan Stanley was able to pull off what they did because they bought City Smith Barney business. When you put them together, you ended up with a wealth management business, roughly half the firm. So Morgan Stanley has reduced its reliance on the capital markets business on that. De novo builds. That's uh, we're talking decades to build something like that, and I'm not mm-hmm. certain that the that that the, the the investors are willing to 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 take that long long a, a, a time frame. We got lots to talk about. Brad hints with us on the future of your Wall Street. We'll continue this uh, discussion. I also want to talk to him about the scope and scale of big banking, a scope and scale that. I think we lose touch with uh, mostly each and every day. I want to go right to the nuance of the screen this morning, which is curve flattening. Yields are higher. Equities up. Futures up 21. But the 210 spread is flattened out by a solid seven basis points this morning. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlains.com. John Tucker has our news headlines. John? And Michael and Tom, Apple CEO Tim Cook says the U.S. government should withdraw its demand that Apple help the FBI hack a locked iPhone used by the shooter in the San Bernardino attack in an early morning email to employees and an online post. Cook is dismissing the government's claims the company's acting out of business interest. He says that Congress should form a commission to discuss the implications. Suspect Ian, the shooting rampage in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that left six people dead, expected to be arraigned today on murder charges. Police say Jason Dalton seemed to choose his victims at random. He has no criminal record. And with Jeb Bush's departure from the presidential race on Saturday, a mighty fundraising army scattered. The question now facing the troops... Pick another side or retreat. Most Bush loyalists contacted Sunday say they were preparing to support Marco Rubio. Global News, 24 hours a day. Powered by our 2,400 journalists, more than 150 news bureaus around the world. 
I'm John Tucker. Mike and Tom. John, thanks so much. Michael McKee and Tom Keene, you need to stay with us with Brad Hintz, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by your Tri-State BMW centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com. At BMW, they make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by... Brown University, where the new executive master in cybersecurity prepares leaders in law, technology, and business to face tomorrow's greatest threats. The Brown University executive master in cybersecurity strategy is the best security. The pound sliding as a split in the U.K.'s ruling party over European Union membership increased the potential for an exit from the bloc. Stocks across the globe are rallying, sending Dubai shares into a bull market as oil rebounds and metals advance. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 20 points. Dow E-mini futures up 177. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 49. The DAX in Germany is up 1.8%. Ten-year Treasury down 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.76%. NYMEX crude oil up 3.6% or $1.06 to 30.70 a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.8% or $22.50 to 12.08.30 an ounce. And the pound is at $1.4105. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Brad Hintz with us. New York University for years with Sanford at Bernstein. Brad, one thing that drives me, is I know Mike's got some adult questions for you, but one of the things that absolutely drives me to drink is people blathering about banking who have no understanding of the size of these beasts. On the balance sheet at Fortress Diamond, credit card loans are $131 billion. That's that's almost a double from where they were at the bottom of the market. 131 billion. They have 331 billion commercial loans. They get 28 billion in cash. They don't know what to do with. And on and on and on. Goodwill, bad will, and whatever will summed up is something in the vicinity of 50 billion. These things are huge, aren't they? Think of how difficult they are to manage. Um, well, and Jamie be- has said that on and off the record any number of times. People don't understand the size. And as a as a CEO, what you don't want to do is to go to hell for a sin of, of omission, right? <laughs> Something that you didn't know you did, right? It, it just it just happened. Uh, and the uh, and so control is an issue and you see that in terms of compliance. You see that in terms of cultural issues. You know, I want to have trusted lieutenants working for me and that's one of the reasons why you see these banks talk about, you know, you know, I've, I've worked with him for a period of time. You see the ma- management teams come as groups because how, you know, how do you ensure that, you know, you don't get in trouble? You try to make sure that the value systems are similar. The, uh, uh, the banks have been shedding people right and left. But is that what we're going to see or are people going to actually shut down business lines uh, and shrink these banks as uh, – President Kashkari and others would have them do. Um, well, shrinking the banks, yeah, you know, there's there's certain. It's very difficult to shrink them, and and you know, you can you can carve around the edges, but it, it, it here's a here's a really good example. Years and years ago, Solomon Brothers, at that time a private a public company, um, and independent, 
shut down commercial paper. It was a terrible business. It wasn't a great return business. And their clients rose up in righteous indignation about this, saying, I'm not going to give you any more investment banking business if you don't place my commercial paper for you. So you think of all these businesses that the banks have on the institutional side. They're all tied together by bungee cords. And the client relationships are, are, are mixed across the board. So you can, you can shrink and, and try to resize each of these businesses. But it's very difficult to say I'm just going to get out of a business without having implications to all the others. It's like a domino I, effect. This is why you're so good. That was absolutely brilliant, that bungee cord idea. Are the bungee cords a little brittle right now? Sure, sure. Well, you, you see the bungee cords with, uh, with, with Mr. Fink. From Mr. Fink's point of view, he gives a lot of business to Wall Street, and he's not getting liquidity in return. Larry Fink of, of BlackRock. That's exactly right. So, you know, so the, the, and why this, the, the model has broken. The model of fixed income was a model that said, I will provide free liquidity to you as an, as a, as a fixed income department. You will provide me flow and I'll be able to take risk against that flow. And therefore I will make money from the risk taking and I'm going to provide you free, easy execution. That's brought, that model's broken now. I can't do that. I'm not allowed to take the level of risk that I used to take. So fixed income has, as you take risk out of fixed income, the profitability of fixed income drops. Now I have a large balance sheet generating low returns. I shrink my balance sheet. Suddenly you have no liquidity. And there you go. That gets us back well, to the nature, thing. Well, uh, nature uh, abhorring a vacuum, how does that get fixed? Repricing in the marketplace. I mean, you can, you know, it's easy for us to say, right? You know, Larry, Mr. Fink, you know, if you want liquidity, you're going to have to pay for it. That means wider bid offer spreads. But that has a secondary effect. Wider bid offer spreads in, in fixed income. Lower trading volume. So fixed income shifts from being a flow business to smile and dial sales guys execute working trades over long periods of time, which is, you know, that's like a throwback to the 1980s, right? So we're seeing, you know, with baby steps, we're seeing a business model evolve. Well, I got to ask you, as the business model evolves, then uh, what do you teach your students? Uh, what are you preparing them for? Oh, the... Um, uh, how, how do you manage Excuse banks, me, right? Cancun. <laughs> well, that would have been the old answer. <laughs> you know, this is an opportunity. Remember, um, there aren't many kids who are going in, into Wall Street, and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing the technology. Everybody wants to go into technology. That's probably a wonderful time to go to the banks, right? Because if anybody needs capable management teams for the future, it's the commercial banks, right? They're the ones who, you know, they're not going to go away. The business isn't going to go away. We need we need a generation of people to come and, t and take it over. And, and happily, the baby boomers are yeah. kind of getting out of the way. A wise one. Why has Ruth Porat done so well at Google? What's in the pixie dust of you CFO type of analyst people like you and Ruth? She goes back out to Google and she's, you know, basically she could run for governor in California. She's done so well. She knows how to gain confidence with, with – with, think of a CFO on Wall Street. In many ways, you're herding cats, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I, su I, suspect, that, I suspect there's many, many uh, comparable challenges that go on when you're, when you're dealing with, uh, with technology people, too. Yeah. 
the technology people think they know everything, which, and just as the traders thought they knew everything, and Ruth has to gain a consensus. She's been, she's very good at that. She is a team, she, she's a team leader, and, uh, and, and people learn to trust her very quickly. Brad never enough time. Thank you so much. Uh, Brad Ince is with New York University, where I think he forces people to learn how to use a slide rule. We continue. Stay with us. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by New York Community Bank and New York Commercial Bank, the NYCB family of banks. Bank with confidence anywhere you see the NYCB logo throughout the New York Metro. Visit NYCBFamily.com. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning, 730 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keene. We're two hours away from the opening, what looks to be a an up opening this morning on Wall Street with futures all higher. Some of the corporate news that has broken overnight that you may be interested in. Carlisle, two years after buying it, shutting down Diversified Global Asset Management, a hedge fund of fund manager. That was supposed to be part of its push to expand beyond private equity. Yahoo is going to begin approaching potential corporate and private equity buyers as soon as today, according to people familiar with the process. Yahoo shares up 1.5%. HSBC posting an unexpected fourth quarter loss. Income from lending fell. Loan impairment charges increased. Right now, HSBC shares in Europe trading down by 2.9%. And the world's 12 biggest banks cutting front office currency staff by 5% in 2015, according to the Financial Industry Analyst Coalition Development. That extends a trend that's seen them reduce foreign exchange headcount by more than a quarter since 2010. Let's check in with John Tucker now and get the latest world and national headlines. John? Well, Michael, after predicting he could pull off a political upset in Nevada, and more than a week before potential wins on Super Tuesday, Bernie Sanders assuring supporters he's working too hard to close the gap in Saturday's primary in South Carolina. No polls in South Carolina have shown Sanders closer than 18 points down from Hillary Clinton. Apple resisting a court order requiring the company to help unlock the iPhone of a dead terrorist. Uh, the U.S. Congress, they say, should now form a committee to discuss privacy and personal freedoms. Apple would gladly take part in such an effort, the company saying in a statement on its website today. The U.S. auto safety regulator says it's investigating all Takata airbag inflators that use a chemical propellant ban from future models. It'll compile data to determine whether to expand the industry's broadest recall ever. And Syria's main political opposition is meeting today to discuss a proposed ceasefire whose potential for even limited success has been undercut by a spike in violence. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news viewers around the world. I'm John Tucker. Michael. Thank you very much, John. Time now for the Ray Katina Auto Group Bloomberg NBC Sports Update with Rob Bushka. Rob. Good morning, Mike. The Rangers continue to get just enough timely offense as they took a Detroit stalemate to overtime at Madison Square Garden. Rangers have a two-on-one back the other way. It's Kevin Hayes in front for shot score. Kevin Clyde with the overtime winner. Rangers win one nothing. 
Fifth goal of the year for Klein. That's NBC Sports Network with the call. Red Wings netminder Jimmy Howard, he was good, 29 saves, but Hank Lundquist made all of his 22 stand up for another shutout. The Rangers have a stronghold on third. They trail Florida by just a point for the two-seed. Rangers will skate at New Jersey on Tuesday. Islanders head to Minnesota also on Tuesday. The long season continues for the Nets, beaten at home by the Hornets, 104-96. Brooke Lopez, the lone bright spot offensively on what went wrong. We got some good looks. They just didn't go down. Then we turned the ball over a bit much. You know, I wasn't really good at the pick and roll defense, and uh, on our weak side, wasn't there all the time. You know, when we, when we lose games, I think those are definitely uh, have been two key factors. Lopez finished with a double-double, 16 points, 10 rebounds. Knicks host the Raptors at 7.30. Jimmer for a debt. He'll join the team on a 10-day contract. Exciting game at St. John's. Wasn't meant to be, though. The Red Storm rallied from a 19-point deficit. Still came up short, 62-61. And that's your NBC Bloomberg Sports Update. Mike? Thank you, Rob. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. It looks like a green day, at least uh, at the start this morning. S&P futures up big, 20 points right now, 1%. 1.1% for Dow futures. They're up 176 points. NASDAQ futures up 1.2%. That's 48 points on that index. Why? Well, here's what you need to know. West Texas, 3070, up f- uh, 3.6%. It's a 4% gain for Brent crude, 3432. The uh, coalition, the, the, uh, correlations seem to be holding. The Bloomberg NJIT STEM report is brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Thank you, Michael. And at 735 on Wall Street, here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. Can a fancy new camera option help Samsung win back smartphone customers from Apple? The company is showing off its new products at the World Mobile Congress in Barcelona, including virtual reality hardware aimed at breathing new life into its premium line, the latest Galaxy S7 smartphones. It took the wraps off a 360-degree camera designed to work with the S7. The Gear 360 accessory is being seen as a halo product by analysts who say it could help boost sales of the smartphone in a decelerating global market. Samsung is keeping the form and shape of last year's models while fixing some shortcomings, including battery power, and touting their potential role in the coming virtual reality boom. Also at the Barcelona Expo, Ford plans to debut a new model for the European market, unveil in-car technology, and outline its latest plans under the umbrella of Ford Smart Mobility, the company's initiative encompassing areas such as connectivity, autonomous vehicles, and big data. We caught up with Ford CEO Mark Fields. We're obviously here at the Mobile World Congress because we're really emphasizing the point that we are transitioning from an auto company to an auto and a mobility company. And by 2022, 345 million autos worldwide will be connected to the Internet nearly four times more than last year, according to IHS Automotive. That's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Bob, thank you very much. Well, if you are holding British pounds this morning, you lose Pound down 2.2%, the biggest drop, one-day drop since 2010, and we're getting down to close to, very close to the lows of the year. Oddly, though, at the same time, the FTSE is up by 1.3%, 79 points right now. All this after David Cameron got concessions from his uh, EU colleagues and set a referendum on whether Britain should leave the European Union for June 23rd. Boris Johnson, the mayor of London, 
Same party as David Cameron says he will campaign to leave. So what is going on in Britain and how does it affect investors? For that, we turn to Robert Sinch, macro strategy consultant at Amherst Pierpont, longtime watcher of foreign exchange markets, uh, a man who probably even knows what Marmite is. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, Bob. Um, what are we to make of the big sell-off in the British currency at a time when people seem to be pouring into British equities? Well, I think uh, I think this may be another situation where markets are getting uh, probably a little bit more excited about this whole topic than is justified. You know, you look at some of the latest polling, and it actually has, uh, although the polling in the U.K. hasn't been the most reliable, it does show um, a, about a 10 to 15-point lead for those who want to stay in the EU. Um, and if that's the case, then all this becomes uh, moot. I also think it's probably worthwhile waiting till we get the full presentation uh, and discussion uh, in Parliament by uh, by the Prime Minister. So, so I think that uh, you know the markets are skittish. Uh, the dollar in general in general is a bit stronger uh, this morning on slightly higher U.S. rates and a little bit better risk appetite, and I think that's contributed to it uh, along with some weaker U.K. data. So I think there's a lot of factors uh, working themselves in, but certainly right now with the Bank of England squarely on the sidelines. There's no reason not to be to be selling pounds, and I think that's a lot of what the speculative community is doing. Well, right now, we're seeing the lowest uh, pound rate since March of 2009, according to the headline that just went by. And I have to wonder if, in the short run, this might be a buy, given that, uh, as you say, the BOE is on the sidelines at the moment, but the economy still seems to be strong, and the idea that they are going to remain on the sidelines, could change as fast as sentiment in the U.S. changes every time we have a good economic data point. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a, this is a situation where the pound is certainly, um, as you said, down to, to very low levels uh, uh, on a risk-reward basis. I think if you had to do something, um, you're probably, I would think you're better off buying here rather than selling, but um, I don't think you really need to do anything. Um, I think this is a situation that is that's very fluid. As I said before, we know that the polling in the UK has been particularly unreliable uh, amongst polling around the world. So I think that that uh, you know this is this is one where it's better not to play than to try to take a position on it one way or the other. What about in terms of uh, the cross with the euro? Yeah, I mean, I think that that the euro has its own problems also. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, the ECB is is looking at data. We just got data out today showing the manufacturing sector uh, weakening up a little bit more, um, and the overall uh, the overall economy looks like it's off to a sluggish start. So, the pressure certainly is building, I think, on the uh, on the ECB to try to ease policy um, at its meeting in early March. On the other hand. Um, I think there's a, a growing sentiment that maybe negative rates aren't all that uh, that they were supposed to be in terms of stimulating growth and inflation. And the ECB is notoriously slow in finding alternatives. So I think this could be a tough environment for the euro over the next month or so um, because uh, because it's it's not clear what the ECB's options yeah. are going to be. All right, we'll continue this conversation with Bob Sinch from Amherst Pierpont. In just a moment here on Bloomberg Surveillance, the euro-pound cross rate is uh, 0.78418 at the moment. The euro going for 110.25 against the dollar. 
Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Benzel Bush Motor Car in Englewood, New Jersey, offering a commitment to service, luxury, and value with total transparency from America's premier automotive dealership to find the way you drive at BenzelBush.com. Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 85 years. Learn more at ADR.org. The European Union is reviving a probe into Google's advertising practices with an inquiry that adds to active EU antitrust investigations into the company's mobile operating system and shopping search services. The pound is sliding as a split in the U.K.'s ruling party over European Union membership increased the potential for an exit from the block and stocks across the globe are higher. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 19 points. Dow E-mini futures up 165. NASDAQ E-mini futures up 45. The DAX in Germany is up 1.7 percent. Ten-year Treasury down 6.30 seconds. The yield 1.76 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 3.6 percent or $1.07 to $30.71 cents a barrel. COMEX gold down 1.9 percent or $23 to $12.0780 an ounce. The euro $1.1030. The yen 113.17. The British pound $1.4077. And Allergan reporting fourth quarter profit that beat analyst estimates. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you very much. We're talking with Bob Sinch of Amherst Pierpont. Uh, before the break, Bob, you mentioned negative interest rates. we got five countries in Europe right now with negative interest rates, and I read this morning the Czechs are thinking of going there next basically because they want a weaker corona. Are we now, after, after many years of talking about it, are we now getting into currency wars in which, uh, like the 1930s, there is no possible way to win if everybody's involved? Well, I think, uh, I don't know if I'd call them wars, but it's certainly some skirmishes going on. And I think that, that many have, have realized, and we've talked about this a number of times over the last couple of years, that one of the more important transmission mechanisms of monetary policy when rates get to very low levels is actually through the exchange rate. Um, that was certainly the case back in uh, 2010, 2011, when, uh, when the Fed uh, initiated its third round of quantitative easing. Uh, I think we've seen that with the weaker euro down uh, under 105 um, at one point last year with the ECB moving at the negative rate. So I think that, that um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a situation where monetary policy really, I don't think negative rates themselves are doing very much. And so really it's, it's way of impacting the economy is through the, through the exchange mm-hmm. rate. So I think we are unfortunately inching towards a world where competitive uh, devaluations is something that uh, that countries are looking at because monetary policy has become ineffective and fiscal right. policy is still missing in action. Bob Sinch, good morning. Uh, tell me about the dollar. I need an update here on a Monday morning. 97.5 on DXY. Can you go long the dollar here or is it just dollar malaise? No, I think we can go along the dollar here. There's uh, certainly we've seen some U.S. interest rate back up here in the last couple of days. 
some of the things we look at would suggest that the dollar has some upside from here. Um, I think if we're going to take long dollar positions, uh, I think the euro is the way to go right now, short the euro, long the dollar, uh, because the ECB is facing a meeting, uh, I think coming up March 10th, and give data. Please leave data a message after the beep. Or Oh, there's some technical difficulties. Charlie Pellet joining us now. Uh, Michael McKee, it's <laughs> if you always have a message, good to hear. Please leave it after that. <clears throat> yeah, there's Charlie Pellet. Let's continue on. Bob Cinch, you still there? I'm still here. Okay. Uh, well, there, there we're putting some data that we get out of the uh, the the uh, the EU uh, this morning, Eurozone this morning, uh, which suggested yeah. both the manufacturing and service sectors weakening up a little bit. So. Uh, the pressure is certainly on the ECB to do something in March. Uh, it's not clear what they're going yeah. to do, but I think uh, a weaker euro is part of the mix. I usually don't like to look back, but I'm going to break a rule and do that here. Bob Cinch, to me last week, and the word I used mathematically was indeterminate. We were just sort of all over the place last week. What did you glean from last week that frames strategy or, more importantly, trade placement into March? You know, I, I think some of it, so much of it still revolves around the oil market. And what we've seen is, is oil, um, holding the lows around 26, but not really being able to break to the top side. So we've had, um, uh, a lot of volatility in a very narrow range in the markets, I think, are overreacting to that. Um, but I do think we're, we're getting this sense that, uh, that the global economy is slowing further. Um, the risk is that oil prices are going to break to the downside. I think a lot of that has been discounted. And so when you don't get a break to the downside, you get these relief rallies. But I think the early data we're getting out for the month of February from some of these uh, PMI indices around the world suggests that there is no bounce going on in the first quarter after some relatively weak fourth quarter growth numbers around the world. And I, I think the growth environment is going to continue to be a, a heavy weight of uncertainty on markets as we go forward. It, it does seem, though, that the numbers are telling us things aren't getting significantly worse, that we're just sort of muddling along. And I'm wondering, given the money that has poured into negative yielding bonds, uh, even into the United States, if we do see a floor put in under oil prices that people believe in, are there a lot of people who, I mean, are we at risk of a huge bloodbath from people who have uh, gone the wrong way? Yeah, I think we've seen a little bit of that in the last couple of weeks with this enormous volatility in the oil markets. And, uh, and so I think we are shaking out some of the, some of the speculative positions. Um, but, but the concern has to be inventories. I mean, we continue to get large inventories. Um, the agreement last week was to cap production at already high levels. That's not going to do much to bring inventories down. So I think I think the markets continue to struggle with, uh, you know, have we found a durable bottom in oil prices? Because if it goes down and, and breaks through that $26 right. level, I think we set off all sorts of concerns in the high-yield bond okay. markets, in the bank lending markets, et cetera. Let's rip up the script on a Monday morning. Mike, you bring up an incredibly important point. And Bob says she answered it by going to oil. Bob, your magic is even though you do foreign exchange, you wonderfully go cross-asset. I would suggest we have rationalized commodities using Brent as a proxy from 100, actually 110, 120. But from 100, we rationalized at 80. We rationalized at 60. My memory is we moved quickly from there. We rationalized at 40, and now we're doing the same thing at 30. Why isn't this just one grand rationalization 
like the previous. I see no indication of any catharsis in oil. I would agree, and I think that that the oil market is one that we we have to be concerned about because so many of the players are not just motivated by the profit uh, by profit margins. You know, you have a number of of governments who are heavily involved in the market who just need revenue, and they'll they'll continue to pump oil just to generate revenue, whether it's at a profit or at a loss. And I think that makes for a market that doesn't really clear. You don't, you don't find equilibrium as quickly as we should. And, and I think that's what we're seeing in the oil markets. And I think some of the uncertainty in the other asset markets is, have we cleared this market? Are we going to clear this market? Or is this uncertainty going to stay with us? At the same time that certainly industrial production around the world, maybe the services sector is doing okay, but industrial production continues to weaken that certainly puts downward pressure on oil demand, uh, and you put those two together and you keep grappling for this equilibrium price, and I, I just don't think we've found it yet, and it may take a while to find it. A while is how long in your view? For Bob Cinch, end of the month. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, in, it, you know, you would normally expect these markets to adjust in a matter of months. We haven't done that. It, it could take another three to six months before oh, we really man. sort of sort out. Um, you know, what rational levels are for oil prices right. going forward. On a Monday morning, Bob Cinch, filter in the good work of one S. Stanley. He's been better than good, not about gloom, but about malaise, where it's not morning in America. What does Stephen Stanley say that you fold into your strategy? Well, I think there's a couple things. One, I think Steve's been very early on the uh, on the concerns about um, uh, growth and investment, and he's been uh, particularly pessimistic about a, a rebound in investment activity. Um, part of that in the U.S. related to policy issues, uh, but I think you know investment really is the global issue that we're we're facing a, a shortage of right now, and and that's really holding back the global economies. Number one, number two. Uh, Steve's also getting a bit more concerned about uh, about the inflation outlook and the fact that the Fed may uh, have to continue to normalize rates. Certainly, the the core CPI numbers we saw last week are uh, are a concern in that regard. And I think if the Fed does continue to normalize rates, then then we think we have another leg up in the dollar um, as we go through the year. And we've talked about euro dollar getting back uh, toward parity by the end of this year, and I think that's uh, still in play. Really. Uh... That had seemed to go away as an issue for a while. I, I got to put that out on Twitter. That's, yeah. Did you just say, Bob Singe, that the euro takes another dash to parity? I think we will test parity by the latter no. part of this year because I think things are not uh, moving along very well in Europe. And, uh, you know, if we do get the Fed needing to normalize rates, I, th I do think parity comes back into view. Um, we were a little reluctant to go for the parity call a few months ago because it looked like U.S. rates were coming off and there were too many people in that direction. Uh, I think it's no longer the big consensus out there, and I do think there's downside in the euro from current levels. Bob Sage, thank you so much for the Amherst Pierpont. That's an important quote. We'll get that on social uh, here as we can. Futures up 19, Dow futures up 169. Uh, yields higher, but the curve flatter. That's an oddity of the morning. Here's another oddity. Bonus round, bonus Monday, another hour of Bloomberg surveillance. Stay with us. <laughs> 